Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your advent. We thank you for coming. And now as we turn to your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would lead and guide us in all truth and help us to rightly apply the word of truth to our lives, that we may be a greater reflection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas to you once again. And I hope that everybody had a worshipful, relaxing day yesterday celebrating the arrival of our Savior. I would also like to welcome you to uh, what's commonly known as Assistant or Youth Pastor Sunday, where across the country today, pulpits are being filled by any pastor on staff who is not the senior pastor, um, as our senior pastors are taking a well-deserved break following a busy Advent season and Christmas Eve services. But it's my pleasure to be able to be here with you to open up God's Word together today. Our text this morning finds itself on the heels of the angels' visitation to the shepherds and their journey to Jesus. And in that narrative that Mark preached on on Christmas Eve, we see this beautiful supernatural event. An angel of the Lord shows, reveals himself to the shepherds and pronounces to them, proclaims to them that today a Savior who is Christ the Lord has been born and then if that wasn't enough for a royal birth announcement, all of a sudden we see this multitude of angels who appear, glory, saying glory to God in the highest. And then the shepherds were so moved after they saw Jesus that they left glorifying and praising God. It's quite the amazing scene. But following the birth narrative, it's this very ordinary story of faithful obedience. Luke goes from the angelic choir to eight days later in verse 21 and about 33 days later in verse 22 with this very normal story of faithful obedience when Jesus was an infant. Pastor Mark last Sunday finished up a series for us in the book of Ruth where throughout the series Mark brought to our attention that the book of Ruth takes place in the ordinary day-to-day -day life of people. Ruth and her family had fallen on hard times, and she found herself threshing barley. But Ruth had no idea that God was using her obedience to bring her into the messianic line. And what we often don't see in scripture is the ordinary day-to-day -day lives of people that happen in between the verses and chapters of scripture. Because scripture records for us God's redemptive history and reveals to us about who God is. And so it is filled with these uh, extraordinary things. However, most people live their lives in between the lines that we don't get to read about. And here today we see a story of a very ordinary act by a very faithful Israelite. And what I would like us to walk away from here today is seeing how God uses the ordinary how God uses our ordinary obedience for his extraordinary purposes. So first, let us see how God uses Mary's ordinary obedience. And we see that in the first part of our text in verses 21 to 24. And here we see four faithful acts of Mary. And each of these acts, we are told it was done according to the law. And in this, we see one of the reasons why Mary was chosen to be the mother of God, because she was faithful. Mary lived an obedient life. But what is amazing is that in each of these ordinary acts, they find their extraordinary purpose or fulfillment in Christ. In him they find their yes and amen. 
And we will see how Jesus gives purpose to our ordinary acts of obedience. And so the first thing we see Mary do is to bring Jesus for, to be circumcised. And you may know that circumcision was the sign of the old covenant that God had established with Abraham all the way back in Genesis 17. That every male Israelite was to bear the sign of the covenant that God had made with Abraham. And it served as a reminder that they were set apart as God's chosen people. And if they were not faithful, then they would be removed from God's covenant community. The covenant sign usually showed the blessings of keeping the covenant, but also the curses for breaking it. And here we see Jesus relying on Mary's obedience to accomplish this act of obedience on his behalf. And Luke is showing to us by his repetition of in accordance to the law to show us that Jesus, is, his whole life was characterized by faithful obedience. John Calvin said it is not just Christ's death that accomplished our salvation, but it was accomplished by the whole course of his obedience. And here Jesus relies on Mary's obedience to God in order for God's extraordinary purposes in him to be accomplished. And so Jesus receives the sign of the covenant. But unlike faithless Israel that we read about in the Old Testament, which repeatedly violated God's covenant, Jesus, as the new Israel, perfectly keeps God's covenant. This circumcision, this covenantal cutting of Jesus' flesh when he was born, anticipates to us what will happen to him when he is crucified. As it is his blood... The same blood shed here that establishes the new covenant in his blood. Jesus on the cross would take the full curse of the old covenant for our disobedience and establishes a new covenant through the shedding of his own blood. And then just as Jesus relied on Mary's faithful obedience here for him to be obedient in every aspect of his life to the old covenant, an infant baptism, the sign of the new covenant, we recognize the importance of the parents' obedience of faith to raise their children to become faithful followers of Jesus. The child being baptized is dependent on the parents' faith and obedience as well as God's spirit in their life to produce faith and faithful living. And so in infant baptism, as in circumcision, we recognize the blessing it is to be born into the, into the family of God and set, as we set the child apart, not by the removal of skin, but by being baptized in the name of the triune God, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we recognize that it is God who is doing a great work in their lives. And the grace it is to the child that he or she will grow up surrounded by the Holy Spirit as they live amongst God's Spirit-filled people. And when we come to verse 22, we see Mary's second act of ordinary obedience her purification. In Leviticus 12, we read all about the purification ritual that women had to go through after they had given birth in order for them to re-enter temple and communal life. And I wish we had more time this morning to, to dig into each one of these symbolic acts, but each one of themselves could be a sermon. But it wasn't in, in that giving birth that Mary was sinning but the birthing process served as a reminder of death and sin in the midst of new life emerging. The loss of blood and fluid from the body reminded us, reminded them of their mortality 
and the reality of the broken world that we live in. Just like today, we would never say that someone's sickness or disease was caused by a certain sin that they committed, but we recognize that things like cancer are a result of living in a broken world, and it reminds us in a very real and tangible way of our own mortality and our need for God. So Mary comes for her purification, not because she has sinned, but as a thanksgiving to God and in a way to acknowledge her need for him to be cleansed from the effects of sin. However, it would be in about 33 years, it wouldn't be this priest who she comes to who would purify Mary. It would be this child to whom Mary had just given birth would purify her once and for all as he does for all those who put their faith in him. And today, we as Christians are no longer ritually unclean because of Jesus. His blood was spilled for our impurities. He takes our impurity upon himself and gives us a pure heart. And in Christ Jesus, we are no longer primarily concerned with what happens on the outside, but what takes place on the inside. For it is him who said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us, which led the writer of Hebrews 10 to say, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It is thus part of the new creation that Jesus brings in his first advent upon his arrival that through him the effects of the fall begin to become undone and one day will be fully undone at his second advent. Which brings us to our third faithful act of Mary, the presentation and consecration of Jesus. Now the consecration of the firstborn finds its origins in the Exodus story. Now the Exodus story was the defining act of redemption and deliverance for the Israelites. And this practice was so important in the life of Israel that Moses actually interrupts the Exodus narrative in Exodus 13 to talk about the importance of this, uh, of this ceremony. And there are a lot of things this represents, but there are two main meanings behind the consecration of the firstborn. One, it was a symbolic act of the relationship between Israel and God. In Exodus 4, Israel's called God's firstborn. And God had redeemed them as his firstborn from the Egyptians. And secondly, it shows to us the, the permanence of Israel's relationship to God. That in laying special claim to the firstborn, God was in, fact, was in effect laying claim to the succeeding generations as his own. They belonged to him from generation to generation. But this right still speaks to us today. As Jesus has delivered us from death and has consecrated us before the Father and those whom he has delivered belong to him. And when we put our faith in him, when we confess, them, confess him as Lord, we belong to Jesus. But he delivers us not with the blood of a lamb as God did in the Exodus story, but by his own blood. And our obedience to him as a response to his grace and love in our lives. And now we as brothers and sisters in Christ, as the family of God, all share the same eldest brother 
the only true naturally born one, Jesus Christ. And then we see Mary's fourth act of obedience, the sacrifice. Mary offers a sacrifice to complete her purification. But let us not miss the irony here of Mary offering an animal sacrifice for her purification after giving birth to the one who would be sacrificed for her. The writer of Hebrews calls our attention to the fact that while the, anim- while the sacrificial system pointed us towards Jesus, the blood of animals could never actually take away our sins. And this concept would apply to Mary's sacrifice here. Here she offers the sacrifice for her purification. However, it is this little boy, barely a month old, who by his death would ultimately provide for her purification would be the sin offering for her redemption. He, rather than this priest before whom she stood and presented her sacrifices that day, would become the true high priest who would sit down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, making intercession for her and for us. As we see here in the life of Mary, Jesus provides purpose to our ordinary our ordinary acts of obedience are about being faithful in, everyday as- in the day-to-day aspects of life with hope and anticipation that God the Father through Jesus Christ will redeem every single one of them. Which has led Paul to write in Colossians 3.17 that whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Every action that we do as followers of Jesus have purpose because of him. There is no meaningless work in the life of the Christian. Every opportunity is an opportunity to follow Jesus more closely and to become more like him. And sometimes we can look at our work and have trouble finding purpose, whether you work in an office job or work with your hands. Perhaps your work is keeping your household running. Maybe you find yourself tired from all the running around that needs to get done or all the running around that just got done for the Christmas season. Maybe you're having trouble finding purpose in what you're doing at school. But as a follower of Jesus, everything you do has tremendous value because he is in it. Everything we do is an opportunity to pray for someone, to put the good of another in front of our own, Anything we do, no matter how ordinary or mundane we feel it is, has purpose because we do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who makes all things new. One of my professors in college liked to tell a story of a little boy and his family who lived on the western frontier in the 1870s. And the little boy had become tired of doing his day-to-day chores, feeling they were pointless and meaningless as little kids often do. And his mom grew tired of his complaining. So one day she called him into the kitchen. She gave him this beat up, dirty, broken basket and told him to go fill it with water so that she could boil some water. So she gives the boy the basket and he runs out to the water pump and he starts pumping the basket full of water. And he gets it full so he picks it up and he starts walking to his house But sure enough, by the time he got to the door, all the water had leaked through the basket. So he goes back out to the water pump and he starts pumping up the basket again. 
And this time he runs back to the door trying to make it. But as he's running, water is now flying out of the top of it. Water continues to seep out the sides and the bottom. And by the time he gets to the door, surely enough, the basket is empty. So he goes back out to the pump a third time. And this time he thinks, well, maybe if I cradle it in my shirt, it will hold the water in. So the boy goes out and he pumps up the basket full of water. He tucks it in his shirt and he gets back to his house as quickly as he can. But sure enough, by the time he gets there, the basket is empty and now he's soaking wet. So he walks into the house and he looks at his mom and he looks a little defeated and he says, Mom, I tried and tried and tried, but this is pointless. Every time I filled it up, it would leak out before I could get to the door. Then his mom looked at him and said, I know it may feel that way, but now look at how clean the basket is. Sometimes our work feels pointless. Sometimes we don't know the reason why we're doing what we're doing. It feels mundane. But when Jesus is in it, it never is. Because he is always cleaning us and purifying us from the inside out. Every act of obedience has tremendous purpose and value. As in the life of Mary here, Jesus, provided, Jesus provides tremendous meaning to our ordinary acts of obedience. How? Because God is always at work in us. And that's why Paul wrote in Philippians 2, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, or with, in great reverence to God. For it is God who is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is always at work in you. Everything you do has tremendous purpose and value because he is in it. Which brings us to our second way that God uses our ordinary obedience for his extraordinary purposes. Is that the Holy Spirit can transform our ordinary obedience. And here in verse 25, we are introduced to Simeon. And we don't know much about Simeon, simply that he was righteous and devout. Or another way of saying that Simeon, like Mary, lived a life of obedience. That he was faithful to the law. And he appears to be advanced in years. And it says that he had been waiting for the consolation of Israel. Waiting for the God who comforts his people. Which echoes for us Isaiah 40 where it says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. We're reminded in this that the Lord is a God who comforts his people. But what distinguishes Simeon in our text from any other righteous and devout person in that time, and there would have been others who are faithful to God. What distinguishes Simeon here and what Luke wants to draw our attention to is that it was the Holy Spirit who was upon Simeon who, makes him, who distinguishes him from any other righteous and devout person in his time. And the Holy Spirit plays a critical role in the Gospel of Luke and is the main character in Luke's second work, the book of Acts. And what Luke wants to draw our attention to is that it's the Holy Spirit who transforms our ordinary acts of obedience for God's extraordinary purposes. And we see this all over the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. It was revealed to Zechariah, an ordinary priest, that the Holy Spirit would fill his son John even as he was in Elizabeth's womb. It was the Holy Spirit who came upon Mary to conceive Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who prompts Elizabeth to bless Mary 
when she comes into her presence carrying the Christ child. After John was born, it was the Holy Spirit who came upon Zechariah that led him to prophesy that his son would be the one who would prepare the way for the Lord and that the horn of salvation, Jesus Christ, was here. And then here, three times in these three verses, Luke mentions the role of the Holy Spirit in Simeon's life. It says that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon in verse 25. The Holy Spirit revealed to him in verse 26. And the Holy Spirit led Simeon into the temple in verse 27. The Holy Spirit was upon him, revealed to him, and led him. And the good news for us today is that the Holy Spirit is still alive and active in the lives of God's people. But even in a greater and more profound way than he was here in the life of Simeon. For while the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon, the Holy Spirit on this side of the resurrection fills and indwells Christians today. And that is why Jesus in John 16, 7 said, It is good that I am going away. That unless I go away, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And earlier in John 14, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will be obedient. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus Christ truly is Emmanuel, God with us. For he indwells the heart of every believer. And in verse 15 of John 14, we see the evidence of the life indwelled by the Holy Spirit when Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The mark of a person indwelled with the Holy Spirit is a life submitted to the Lordship of Christ. The mark of one who loves Jesus is one with the help of the Holy Spirit keeps his commandments to love God and to love their neighbor. This is the evidence of a life that has been transformed by the love of Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit still transforms our act of obedience for God's extraordinary purposes. He still indwells us. He reveals God's truth to us and he leads us. I think sometimes we can wonder if our acts of obedience are making any difference. Perhaps you have a neighbor you've been trying to love and to reach them with the gospel, but don't feel like it's making a bit of difference. Or maybe you are doing the right things the right way at work when everyone else is cutting corners. Or maybe you've been trying to raise your kids in the faith, but you're not seeing the fruits of your efforts. Maybe your classmates have found a way to cheat, but you have chosen not to. Or maybe your friends are gossiping about someone who you have chosen to lift up in their company. And sometimes we can wonder if these actions make any difference at all. Or are they just making our life more difficult? But the reality is that often we don't know and sometimes we may never know how the Holy Spirit is at work in our words and actions for his extraordinary purposes. When I was in high school, I went to church with a friend of mine. I grew up in a Baptist church, so 
Naturally, we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit a whole lot. Um, but my friend went to a charismatic church. And it was kind of my first time going to a charismatic church. And needless to say, the, the service was a little more lively than what I was used to. Um, and at that point, God had been stirring some things up in my life. And I started feeling God's call to go into pastoral ministry. But I was a little uncertain because it would completely change the trajectory I thought I was going on with my life. But God started stirring something in my heart. And at the end of the sermon, uh, they invited anybody who wanted to come down for prayer to come down. And so me and my friend, we went down for prayer. And we were standing up front. And I was just kind of praying to myself, waiting to be prayed over. And all of a sudden, I felt this incredible weight come on my shoulders. And it wasn't from the, the, man's, the guy behind me who just put his hands on my shoulders. It was, the, it was the power and peace of the Holy Spirit. And then he began to pray. And he spoke this word over me. He said, I feel in my spirit that God is calling you into pastoral ministry. I had never met this guy before in my life. But that was an, incredible power, an incredibly powerful moment for me as I felt God confirming a call on my life to go into pastoral ministry. And that random Christian brother, and to this day I have no, I, I, and I don't, I don't know his name, but he had no idea how the Holy Spirit would use his words in my life that day. But his obedience to the Spirit's leading in his life, God used in mine. And we often don't know how God will use our acts of obedience for his extraordinary purposes. But we ought to act with boldness when we feel God's Spirit leading in our lives. If someone shares something with you that's personal, don't be afraid to jump in and start praying for them. Or to give them a word of encouragement or to openly use that as an opportunity to share the gospel, the hope that is within you. And the exciting part about walking with Jesus and having the Holy Spirit is that we never know when a very ordinary act of obedience God will use in an extraordinary way in our lives or the life of the person we are with. So now let us turn to the words of Simeon and see how the Holy Spirit used his ordinary act of obedience for his extraordinary purpose. And we see that God uses our ordinary obedience for the proclamation of his extraordinary gospel. God uses Simeon here in a very powerful way to proclaim that this Christ, this child is indeed the Christ. That he is the one Israel and the world had been waiting for. And Simeon makes this incredibly important connection for us that the suffering servant of Isaiah would be the key metaphor for understanding and interpreting the mission of Jesus in this world. And in verse 30 we read, it says, For my eyes, Simeon says, For my eyes have seen your salvation. And we see this implicit connection to Isaiah 52.10 where Isaiah says, The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. 
And in Jesus, we behold the salvation of God. In this child who Simeon has taken into his arms, he sees the salvation of God. And he sees that the deliverance of God's people would not come by a great warrior, but through this child he was holding in his arms. That he was not born in a palace, but born in a manger. That he will not deliver God's people through, by a great warrior, but through this child. He will not deliver God's people by the sword, but by his blood. That this child will not reign from a king's throne, but by walking among his people. He will not rule by comfort and riches, but by serving and suffering. The message of the gospel is not come worship, but God who is unknowable and distant, who we have to work our way towards. But the gospel is that God has come to his people, that God, walk, that God walked among us and bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, that he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and that the punishment that we deserved was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. The gospel message is one that was seen here by the eyes of Simeon and is seen in all of those in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. That through his suffering, he absorbed our just punishment for sin, taking on the full curse of the old covenant and establishing a new covenant in his blood, whereby he is making all things new, including you and I. And that is why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Or quite literally translated, behold the new creation. Jesus bore in his body the curse of the old covenant, that we may inherit the blessings of the new. But there's more good news in Simeon's proclamation. In verse 33, we are told that Mary and Joseph marveled at what Simeon said. But why? Mary had been told this by the angel. Mary sings all about it in her Magnificat. It's, it's all over Zechariah's song. Why did they marvel? It was because of the third part of what Simeon said in verse 32. That this child would be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And for glory to your people Israel. And earlier we read in the service Isaiah 60 in verse 3 it says, And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. That Jesus would be salvation and deliverance, not just for Israel, but for the Gentiles, for all people. And it is remarkable that Simeon mentions the Gentiles before he mentions the nation of Israel. Yes, Jesus' salvation stretches to their enemies. The salvation of Christ stretched to the Romans. It stretches to the Samaritans and to the uttermost parts of the earth. 
Jesus said it himself in the Great Commission that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. A statement of Jesus' kingship, of his lordship. So he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you to be obedient. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God wants to use us to proclaim his gospel for his extraordinary purposes in this world. That through the proclamation that Jesus is Lord, that God's Messiah has come, that God has come to his people, the world would be transformed. But maybe you're here today and you're looking for purpose. Wondering if the mundane tasks of everyday life have any meaning or value. There is a God who we celebrate this Christmas who gives life, who gives purpose and meaning to everything we do, even the small, everyday, ordinary task, like being kind to a neighbor, going to work, or folding the laundry. Jesus gives purpose to, and the Holy Spirit can transform any act of obedience. But we won't always get it right. Sometimes we will fail. But the good news of the gospel is we don't have to get it right because Jesus did. And Jesus is not a harsh God, but one who is abounding with love and forgiveness. God loves you. Jesus loves every single one of you. Extraordinary love that God would come and walk among his people and take on the punishment that we deserved, that we could be healed, and that he would come to live inside the hearts of everyone who calls him Lord. God is at work in us because of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, For we are his workmanship. Quite literally translated, we are God's poetry. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You have tremendous value, meaning, and purpose. And God shows that to us in his coming. God wants to take your ordinary and use it for his extraordinary purposes. Ordinary obedience, extraordinary God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came. God, we thank you that you provide meaning and purpose in our life, God. Lord, may we live faithful, obedient lives, and we pray, God, that you would use our obedience, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit for your extraordinary purposes in this world. We thank you, God, that you invite us, Lord, into your plan of redemption for the world. What a great privilege and responsibility. And Lord, I pray for those who may not know you, God, God, that they would find their ultimate purpose and meaning and value in you, Lord, that they would confess you as Lord, 
So, Lord, we pray that you would use our obedient acts, Lord. Lord, and you would use them for your extraordinary purposes in this world. We pray that it would be done for the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.